Well, uh, a very good evening to our evening worship. Uh, before we go any further, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you especially now for this time that we spend together. Won't you uh, be with us in a very special way and encourage us and challenge us. Amen. Thank you. you can grab a seat. Isaiah 6 In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the posts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Just thinking about those verses, let's uh, Let's pray to this King. Father, you are Lord. You are King over all creation. And you rule. And nothing happens without your consent. Lord, you are exalted by angels. You are Lord Almighty. More powerful than anything and more loving a father than any earthly father could ever be. Father, your glory fills the earth. Help us to see it more clearly. Father, like Isaiah, we are unclean and we too deserve to be ruined. But we praise you and thank you that through Jesus we can and will worship you here on earth this day and in eternity at your throne. Father, you are holy, 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 and you deserve our praise. Hallelujah and Amen. We're going to read from Habakkuk chapter 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave and, like death, is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations 
and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver, there is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Well, I suppose our experience of waiting depends what we're waiting for. If it's the post lady you're waiting for and you've had recently tests at the hospital and the consultant says, I'll send you a letter with the results, you're waiting with anxiety. But then there's a different kind of waiting, isn't there? If you're expecting these ladies to arrive, you're waiting for something much more cheerful and something much more wonderful and uh, whilst it may have its anxieties it's a, a different experience of waiting because it's something positive you're looking forward to. We're going to look tonight at Habakkuk chapter 2 and this prophet was used by God to speak to the people of Judah 600 years before Jesus was born. 
If you were here last week, Neil introduced us to the massive problem that Habakkuk was facing. He was a godly man and he'd seen around him the people of his own nation sinking farther and farther into sin, into rebellion against God, into immorality and ungodliness. And he'd been praying about him. He'd been asking God what he's going to do about this. And God did nothing. And God did nothing. And Habakkuk became more and more concerned about this. Why should good God not judge these people who had been so rebellious against him? And he complained to God about this. So God says, yes, I will do something. I will punish the people of Judah for their wickedness and the way they treated me. But I'm going to do it through the people of Babylon. Now, if that was going to be some help to Habakkuk, it certainly wasn't, because the people of Habakkuk were far more godless than the people of Judah. They'd been living in defiance of God's standards, ignorant of anything to do with his goodness and his grace, and the idea that a holy God could use an unholy people to do his work was not only unexpected to Habakkuk, it was confusing to him. And so that was his second complaint that he was bringing to God. And the first chapter outlines for us the way in which he complains to God in this way. Now we come to the second chapter and you'll see in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3 how God says, now I want you to listen to what I'm going to say. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, I'm going to tell you now. Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets. That's not the kind of tablets you mean. It's the kind of tablets they had then. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And so God is saying to him, I am going to do something, but you've got to wait for it to happen. Now before we get any farther, when I get to this sort of stage when I'm preparing, I begin to ask myself a different question. I think, what's all this got to do with us? We were advised in our home group last week to read the three chapters of Habakkuk before we came. Some of our friends tried to do it. And by the end of it, they were no wiser than they were at the beginning. That's why we have home groups. It doesn't clearly lay itself out before us as something burningly relevant to our lives. But you see, God does do things in our day which we don't understand. There are things that God seems to be allowing to happen around us which we seem to think 
would be far better changed. We have a dominance in our society of people who are not only ignorant of God and treat life as if there were no God, but his word in the Bible is ignored. If it weren't bad enough that this is seen in people that we meet day by day, certainly we find that our government and those in authority are now passing laws and allowing things to happen and enabling things which are quite contrary to God's word. And when we think about that, we say, why doesn't God do something about this? Why doesn't God sort these people out? And it's not easy to give an easy answer. Why God doesn't do something is frequently our question. But it can get more personal than that too, can't it? It can get so personal because God things allow us intimately in our own lives and we don't understand why. We as a fellowship have been through times and still going through times where we've had serious illness amongst some of our beloved friends and these are not easy to explain. And when we pray and we don't see immediate answers, we ask ourselves, why isn't God doing something? Now, I don't know the experience that you've had in the past. But I have been a pastor long enough to know that there are many people, many Christian people, who are still living lives resenting what God's done in the past and what God hasn't done in the past. And are frustrated by the fact that these issues, you try to put them in the background, but then they, they keep coming up again and they hinder the freedom and peace of our walk with God. So Habakkuk 2 is going to help us. It's going to help us because I want to look with you here at three key principles which are in this chapter about how we wait for God to bring about his answers and his solutions to our problems. And while we are waiting, these are the things the chapter says we can do. While we're waiting, we should have faith in God's word. Faith. Please look at verse 4. See, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Trusting God's word is one thing we can do while we're waiting. The second is, while waiting, we can have hope for God's glory. Look at verse 14. This is part of what God says he's going to do. Not immediately, he says, wait for it, but he says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a tremendous promise. And while we're waiting, we can have hope in God's glory. Then the last principle you'll find in verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. While waiting, in the face of all our complaining, we must be silent under God's rule. 
Let's look at those then, one at a time. We'll go back to the first one then. While waiting, we should have faith in God's word. Verse 4 says, the just, the righteous will live by his faith. Faith is how God's people, how the just live. That's the way in which not only they are God's people by trusting in him, but they're living by that faith. Now the contrast in this verse is between the people of Babylon puffed up with desires that are not upright and the people of God who are living by faith. Now many of you will know that this expression, the just shall live by faith, is a key verse in the whole of the Bible. It's used in the Old Testament of Abraham and if you've got one of those reference Bibles down the middle of the page where it tells you where this is quoted in the New Testament, you will find three places in the New Testament where this is used of Christian people. This is how people are made righteous, declared just before a holy God by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world is divided, as we know, into the people who are believers in Jesus and the people who are not. And that's a very, very important distinction. Let me just read to you what Jesus himself says at the end of John chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. The difference between having eternal life and having God's wrath remaining on us is faith, is believing in Jesus. And that principle is here in Habakkuk and it's here in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. This faith is not just something which we once have, we trust him once in our lives, but it becomes our whole life. The just shall live by faith. And we live in praise, and we live in worship, and we live in gratitude, and we live in love, and we live in obedience to him, because that's how the just live. And we may be very different in temperament, we may be different in race and culture and nationality, certainly we will be different in our view of politics and many other things, but what unites us is God's people, the just, the righteous, are living by faith. Look at what God says in verse 3 about his word. The revelation, that's what he's going to say, awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. That's why we believe it. It's God's word and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. There's certainty because it's God's word. And that's why we trust him. But don't forget why we're looking at this. That faith is despite our having all these questions. Habakkuk had these questions, these complaints that he cried to God about. While we are waiting, while we are believing, we still have questions that arise in our lives. Now, if you have questions about God and his word, 
you're in good company. Lots of people in the Bible had questions. Abraham questioned God. Moses questioned God. Job questioned God. John the Baptist questioned God. Peter questioned God. The Apostle Paul questioned God. There are many in the Bible who have questions at the time while they're believing. Because it's while we're waiting that we're believing while we still have questions. But because it's God's word, it's trusting him, that's what faith is all about. But it's also faith despite all that we can see happening. Habakkuk was looking around him. He was looking at the nation, he was looking at the Babylonians, he was looking at the things that were happening, and he says, how can I square what God is saying with what I'm seeing? And that's the difference between the person who believes. The person who has faith is the person who says, I trust God even though I can't see how it's all working out. What he saw was not rational, it didn't make sense to him. But you know what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament? He says, we live by faith, not by sight. That's very important, isn't it? We can't always see the way things are working out. If we decided our attitude to God and life and everything by what we were seeing, then we would be in serious trouble. We live in an age where the image has become everything, hasn't it? What profile people have, what people see. We have not only films and TV at home, we carry them around on our phones, and we can have them wherever we are. People are always uh, talking today about what they can see. You read in the magazines, 50 things you must see before you die. But you see, the Christian believer is not believing in what he can see. Let me just read to you for a moment what we have in Peter's letter. This is the Apostle Peter writing, and he says in 1 Peter 1, 8. Though you have not seen Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You don't see him, but you believe in him. Faith is seeing Christ in our hearts, even though we can't see him with our eyes. So that's the first principle which I take from Habakkuk 2 to help us in waiting. We're waiting, but we are trusting. We have faith in God's word. Now I want to go to verse 14. For this is one of the biggest promises in the whole Bible. While we are waiting, we can hope for God's glory. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, quite a lot of this chapter is full of warnings to God's enemies. There are five woes here. And even verse 13, immediately before this, says, Has not the Lord Almighty determined 
that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire. The nations exhaust themselves for nothing. But the contrast is for what he's going to do with the nations and what God is going to do to display his glory. The incredible optimism of this is because Habakkuk is actually quoting another prophet. A hundred years before, Isaiah had said this, because God had revealed it to Isaiah as something that's going to happen. Now he's revealing it again to Habakkuk and saying this is what God's going to do. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Glory is a short word. But it's a big word. And what the word glory contains is really a description of all that God is. It has to do with the fact that God's character is not kept in himself, but is displayed. It's the shining of God's glory. It's the display of God's love and his justice, his holiness, his righteousness, his tenderness, his compassion, these things together are the display of God's glory. We're told that the angels in heaven can see the glory of God. And we're told now that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Here already, Psalm 19 says, the heavens display the glory of God. We can see something of God's character in the very vast universe and all its beauty. There's more too, isn't there? Do you remember how when Paul is talking about the gospel and the power of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here and now, we see God's character, his reality, the shining out of his glory in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here, Habakkuk is saying, this display of God's glory is going to be spread universally. It's going to be completely displayed to fill the whole earth. Now we do have in the Old Testament instances of God's glory being seen in the temple so that you know the priests at some point couldn't fulfil their duties in the temple because the glory of the Lord filled the place. But here it's not just a temple that's being filled, it's the whole earth being filled with the display of God's glory. And so we're faced with a very interesting question. When is this going to happen? Does this mean that one day everybody will be converted? Does it mean that all these enemies of God are going to become Christians? Is that what it means? Well, the Bible doesn't ever say that, does it? Otherwise the day of judgment wouldn't mean anything at all. But what the day of judgment does mean is that when God reveals himself and his justice 
against those who are his enemies as Babylon is here castigated for what they have done and God says what he will do with them the day of judgment is going to be tragically and awfully the punishment and the removal of those who are his enemies. When Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, the display of his glory will be that all the false gods and all the threats of Islam that we see around us today, all those threats from the people who put their confidence in economics and money will solve it all, those who ignore the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth and the truth of the Bible, sadly they are going to be facing the judgment that they have chosen. They have chosen the way apart from God and God will remove them from his presence. And so, this is a promise that when that has happened, God alone will stand triumphant and his glory seen across the whole earth. But it's better than that. For if you look at the text, he says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And that's showing that we shall actually experience that glory. The word knowledge in the Bible doesn't mean merely head knowledge. It's just not learning your tables as a child. When Adam knew his wife, Eve, it was the intimacy of oneness, of experience, and the knowledge of God is the very essence of eternal life, John 17 says. It's to know God and to know him in that glory of his nature being revealed to us and enjoyed by us. You see, Jesus uses the picture of judgment, doesn't he? In a very simple way that people of his day would understand, he talks about the sheep and the goats, and he says they're all mixed up together, and when the day of judgment comes, he will take the sheep and separate them from the goats. But what does he say will happen? The goats will be taken from him and destroyed, and those who are left will be all his sheep. This promise is about the day when God's people are together and it's said to be here on the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. It won't be the earth as it is now. It will be a new heaven and a new earth. But it will be a place and a realm and an eternity in which God's people experience the knowledge of the God forever. The book of Revelation is full of uh, revelate about understanding of, of this for us and uh, um, if you think about the picture we have in Revelation 21 for example uh, John says I did not see a temple in the city the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God gives it light nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And while Habakkuk is waiting, 
God says, this is what you're waiting for. This is what I promise you will happen. It will certainly come. It will not prove false. What a difference it makes to us, doesn't it? When we're waiting with certainty of what the outcome is going to be. One more word about that before we pass on, however. My friends, this is the gospel we have to offer to our generation, isn't it? This is what we say to the people who are struggling and the people who are uncertain about what's happening and who do grapple in their minds with what God is doing. We are saying there is a glory to come. It's eternal. And it's found in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that we bring to them. I must move to the third point, and that is that while waiting, it tells us in verse 20, we must be silent under God's rule. We must be silent under God's rule. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You see, this is another contrast at the end of the chapter. He's contrasting the idols of the Babylonians. What value is an idol? Verse 18. A man has carved it. It teaches lies. He who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver, but there is no breath in it. But, in contrast, where is the Lord? He is exalted in his holy temple. This is not the temple on earth. This is the temple in heaven. This is the temple where God is exalted in control. And we must recognise God's rule. Though it's hard to understand exactly what the Day of Judgment means, it does mean this, God is fair. God is just. God is going to do what is right. And God has that authority and it's his right to have that authority. So whilst we're waiting, we must recognise that God is ruling in his holy temple and we must submit to God's rule in his holy temple. That's what this word silence is all about. We are silent when we submit to what God decides is right. It's hard, isn't it, to sing those hymns which speak about God having the right to give or take away, to recognise that God has the right to say to us when we plead with him, not now, but you're going to wait. It's very difficult for us to be silent before God when he does something before our eyes that Habakkuk saw which seemed to be so unjust and so wrong. But that's why we trust him. That's why we 
recognise him. That's why we submit to him. One of the commentators says, words are totally inadequate when faced with the glory of God. For a Christian, when such things happen to us, we mustn't begrudge him. We mustn't argue with him. We mustn't resent him. We must bow down before him. This is something Habakkuk had to learn. And we have to learn it and it's not easy. I want you to think about yourself and your life and the things that have happened to you, the things that you didn't like when they happened to you. Is this so part of you that is angry with God? That is questioning God? And says God shouldn't have done that to me or to my loved ones? or to my family. We have to face up to this. If we are waiting for this wonderful glory to come, we must do so submitting to God's rule. And yet, there's even more here, because this verse says, let all the earth be silent. Not just God's people, but whilst we're waiting, we should urge the whole earth to be silent before him. Now we don't live in a quiet generation, do we? We live in a noisy generation. When you go into shops, the music is so loud. When you see people sitting at home doing their homework, what are they listening to while they're doing it? The most tremendous noise as well. We live in a noisy generation, strident voices, radios, phones, noise all over the place. Can we persuade people to stop and listen and to see, be silent before God? Well, we've got to do that. And we've got to do that even whilst we're waiting for things better to happen to us. And whenever we see in the Bible these words about let all the earth be silent before him, we have to say to ourselves, well, I can't do that for the whole of the world, can I? I can't go to all the other countries where they need to know about Jesus and tell them. But what we can and must do is to say the people who are nearest to us must see the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. And this is one way in which we can show them. We are going to have experiences we don't like. We are going to find that there are times when what God does we don't understand. And there are going to be reasons for us to be tempted, as Habakkuk was tempted, to complain against him. But even if we think we have reason to bitch and whine and moan, even about God, here's the opportunity for us to show the difference that Christ makes. You see, we have a wonderful hope before us. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Until then, we must go through our life silent before the glory of the God who rules and who knows what he's doing. What's it all got to do with me then? Let me summarise. 
while we're waiting for these things to happen, we can have faith in Jesus Christ. He showed himself worthy of our trust by dying for us and then rising from the dead. He's the one we trust. We know that we can hope to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ when he returns. This promise in verse 20 is not now, it's when Jesus returns. But we are hoping for that and we're looking forward to it. It's making all the difference to our waiting. And it means that in Jesus' presence we can be silent before him, confident that whatever we may think, he knows what he's doing. Let's just spend a few moments being quiet. It's hard to be quiet, isn't it? Just to be silent and reflect on God's ways with us. Reflect on God's word to us. Perhaps to pray for people that you know who find it hard to be silent before a gracious God of authority. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.